Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 88, recorded on September 29th, 2020, The Chronicles of the Cloud Pod. Good evening, Jonathan, Peter, and welcome back, Ryan. Hello. I'm back. Yeah, we, uh, we discussed your, your choices and vacation locations uh, on the Eastern Oregon in the middle of fires uh, last <laughs> week on the show. Uh, so we're glad you made it back in one piece. Uh, I see your, your beard's only a little bit singed, so it wasn't mm-hmm. too bad. Just, a, a, just a, a fair amount, just to, so I don't have to trim it. Yeah, no, I, I, I spent a long time lamenting, like, why do I do this again? But then I had such a blast while I was out there that just riding around in the middle of nowhere in the Eastern Oregon desert. Uh, that I regret nothing. So you survived the Oregon Trail. I I did. (laughs) Only a little bit of dysentery. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's a good game. I missed that game. (laughs) All right. Well, we have an action-packed set of news this week once again. Uh, So first up is uh, VMworld week, you guys. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, None of you are VMware people, so you probably didn't. Uh, But, you know, in VMworld fashion, you know, they talked about all their amazing things like Tanzu and how they think they're, you know, making Kubernetes easier for the enterprise. Uh, and they had a bunch of other stuff no one cared about. Uh, but today they announced uh, that they have a, a purchased SaltStack. Uh, VMware announced that it's purchasing SaltStack, the company behind widely used infrastructure automation tooling to enhance its vRealize cloud management software suite. Uh, this is interesting to me because it came only a few weeks after Chef was acquired. Chef was acquired? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. You're out. You go on vacation. <laughs> what happens? <Wow. laughs> yes, they were uh, by a company you've never heard of, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, the minute I read the show notes, I immediately, like, Chef was acquired, and I tried searching the news, and then it took me a few minutes to find it, because, what is it, it's such a, like, a, a non they, Well, they went, from, they went from Chef to a company named Progress, so. Right, so, like, know. Google was just like, yeah, no, <laughs> like, not yeah. returning any relevant results. Yeah, and, then, and then, you know, it was funny. I, I didn't know anything that Progress made either, and I had to go look it up. And then uh, there's two there's two apps that they make that uh, you might recognize. One is Telerik Controls, which are a, a pretty popular uh, UI control framework that will cause you nothing but grief. And then they made uh, an application called What's Up Gold for those old school uh, infrastructure monitoring people. Oh. Yep. Yeah. What's up? I remember What's, what's Up Gold. Uh, but anyway, so SaltStack, uh, of course, is the primary backer of Salt, which is an open source tool that countless information technology administrators worldwide use to carry out today to day maintenance until they discover Ansible. So there you go. <laughs> Ouch. It, it kind of makes you think: Is it, were SaltStack and Chef the winners of the configuration management race, or are they the losers? <laughs> well, I mean, Ansible was picked up by Red Hat forever ago. So it oh. depends on which measure we're using. Is is it last? I mean, so Puppet's really the only one standing free right now, isn't it? Mm. So oh, yeah. who buys them? Uh, but yeah, no, I was I was wondering about this that you know it was VMware interested potentially in buying Chef, and then when Chef you know chose Progress instead, did they did they pivot to buying Salt? Because we were talking about last week or two weeks ago when this happened that you know it was surprising to me BMC or Computer Associates or one of these other IT enterprise tool companies didn't buy Chef uh, over Progress so it was a little interesting to me or or then we didn't even think about VMware but you know the tech debt lender of of infrastructure would definitely own Chef that would make sense it would make complete sense i'm very surprised yeah. those other companies didn't buy Chef because they'd used it before eh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's a it's interesting. So if you're a salt family person, you are now a VMware salt. Uh, so you can rub salt in all those wounds mm-hmm. as appropriate. 
I mean, I just hope they do something like what they're doing with uh, the Heptio um, acquisition, you know, and, and sort of using it to modernize their platform rather than just sort of bury it and part of like we offer configuration management too, kind of. I'd be curious to see if they integrate it somehow with Cloud Health. And, and a lot of times these guys acquire a, a suite of tools to, you know, fulfill their cloud product strategy and they have a plan on integration we'll see all right let's move on to aws who has a bunch of news for us this week as usual they always come through every week with lots of news <laughs> just they, they have a habit of it i think it's all the services they have and a lot of updates but uh the first one is uh, our favorite product to mock uh, amazon glue has uh, gotten a new visual job authoring tool called the amazon glue studio because we want to make it artistic or artisanal the artisanal gui to allow you to go modify and change your ETL jobs without having to be a developer. You can also run and monitor those Amazon Glue jobs uh, from this console. And the simple visual interface makes it easy to compose the jobs that move and transform data and execute them for you. Uh, this is all available to you. And it is a lovely visual uh, WYSIWYG editor that I went and played with earlier today. I created a very simple ETL job between my SQL database and my S3. And it was uh, pretty quick and easy to do. But uh, oh, that's you know, nothing. Nothing really amazing. Uh, if you've already been doing Glue programming or Blue language stuff, uh, this is might limit you. But if you're new to it, I think it's a great starting place. Um, you know, I'm surprised it wasn't just an integration to Visual Studio Code. That's kind of what everyone is doing nowadays. But hey, I'll take a console-based uh, update with a nice visual editor there too. You think this is a uh, going to be form a part of their no-code solution of products? I mean, I think it's more just a as admission that Glue, as it was when it's released, wasn't very usable by a lot of people. So it was very confusing. So uh, by the people who needed to use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I don't know, overwhelming you know, customer feedback <laughs> is probably what. Well, if you weren't impressed with a WYSIWYG for ETL, uh, Amazon backups are now going to support application-consistent backups of Microsoft workloads on EC2, uh, which is basically means that they now support visual or volume shadow copy services or VSS for Microsoft properly, which means you can create, manage, and restore consistent backups of your Microsoft Windows Server instances and Microsoft applications, including SQL Server, AD, and Microsoft Exchange directly from an AWS backup console. Uh, you can schedule those backups, define the lifecycle policies for the backups, and perform consistent restores uh, with AWS backup, all managed for you by the magic of Amazon. This and to make this happen, so of course, you, it will be useful. But uh, do make sure you have the SSM agent first, because that is how they trigger the VSS backup action with the magic of uh, AWS backup. So it makes a call to SSM to invoke VSS, and then you can take your backup without uh, with it being ASA compliant. Otherwise, those backups are not fun to restore. Yeah, I really could have used this in 2015 when we did a, a big migration and had to deal with backups of EBS on Microsoft. Yeah, this is kind of how I can tell, like, you know, people who dabble with running Windows up, you know, in, in production or, or, you know, people who have done it for a while, because um, these are the scars, you know, I remember, you know, being bright eyed and being like, well, just back that up at the EBS phone. What could go wrong? And then all the Windows <laughs> people just looked at me in horror. I'm like, why? It's no big deal. And then, of course, it was a nightmare later because I had no idea that you had to freeze everything at the OS layer. Yep. Yeah, uh, SQL Server does not like to have your, you know, to take an EBS snapshot of a SQL Server. It doesn't particularly like that so much. No matter how much EBS will tell you that it's, you know, a point in time and abstracted from the OS, it's still no. No. It's pointed I mean, down for it, one disk, though, right? But but not necessarily a bunch of disks either, which is a problem with Windows with yeah. striping and stuff like that, yeah. extended volumes. 
Well, that's why they released uh, for AWS Backup, I think it was about a month or two back, the ability to uh, have all the snapshots happen at the same time on a host, uh, which solves that problem too. So I think they're, they're fixing all these weird edge cases of backups with AWS Backup these days and really helping you make sure you hit all of the use cases um, that you want, which is great. Yeah, but they still don't support backing up um, like the VM as a whole, like taking a snapshot of a VM like you can with VMware, including the RAM and the current CPU state and running processes. You can't you can't suspend a machine or take a backup of a running machine and then restore it in its running state. And I think that's still a gap that they have. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting how they do that with Nitro, because the way VMware does it is with some magic uh, mm-hmm. and rollback logs <laughs> and stuff like that. So I'd be curious to see how they actually pull that off with Nitro and stuff. Maybe it's not as easy to do, which why they haven't done it. I think it's, it's more along lines as it would it would point them in a direction where it would be hard to do something like nitro like because you know the isolation that you get with you know segmenting your workload like that and then also having them be able to res- restore with you know however that's done logs or yeah. um, is very since we said that since we said it can't be done it means that uh, it will happen at reinvent so it makes sure true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's useful for forensics. Even if it's not useful for actual backup and restores, it's useful for forensics mm. to take to take a copy of a whole machine, including the RAM and everything else. But I mean, it, in, on the other hand, you know, I, I guess it's a it's a sign that that's not the cloud way to do things. That's the sure get your foot in the door with a migration, and we will give you these small set of options, but we're not going to give you uh, the whole machine snapshots. Yeah, yeah, I could just hear Werner just furious. That's not the way to do it. That's not the cloud way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, AWS Security Hub has added 14 new controls to the AWS Foundational Security Best Practices Standard. Uh, These 14 new controls uh, hit all things like EC2, EMR, KMS, RDS, S3, and Secrets Manager. Uh, And I put out a couple that I either have some issues with or I really like. Uh, So the first one is uh, EC2.8, which is EC2 instance should be used IMDS S2 or V2, which is the metadata version 2 service. Uh, While I agree that it's a really great thing to do, if you're not ready for that, don't do that. But the, the com- you know the security tickets I will get that I don't have this enabled, uh, then having to explain why I need the less secure version of metadata is not a conversation I'm looking forward to with our security team anytime soon. So that one, <laughs> that one makes me slightly unhappy. Uh, and then the next one that I was not not super jazzed about uh, was that basically a two secrets manager one secrets manager secrets should have automatic rotation enabled, and secrets manager secrets configured with automatic rotation should rotate successfully. Well. Doesn't that what isn't that what the first one does? Like, why do I need a guarantee that it rotated successfully in addition to that it rotated automatically? It didn't really make sense to me why I need both, but uh, you know, here we are. So those are some interesting ones here. There's other ones about encryption by default uh, for all EBS volumes, which is a you know encrypt everything standard. Uh, I am custom attribution not allowed decryption actions on KMS keys, which is good. You definitely not do that unless it's a service. Uh, and then cluster snapshots, encryptions, and stuff like that are all available to you as well. Uh, and then there's also one here too, RDS DB instances should be configured for multiple availability zones, which does cost you more money. So way to go, Amazon, and giving you a control that costs you more money to increase your profits. Yeah, when, when do you think these, uh, yeah, uh, suddenly all of the super expensive security products are going to be recommended? It shouldn't be control, it should be a best practice, right? I mean, if you don't need more than 99.9% uptime, why should you have multiple AZs? And I, it's, it's kind of my problem with the well-architected framework in general is that they, they make these suggestions for people who really don't have any need for them. But they also don't have the expertise to define the best practices, and they, they keep going. You know, like, I, I don't know how many times I've seen companies go and be like, we just want the right way to do things. We want to be told what that is. And so it's, this is one of the ways that they provide that. Yeah, but even things like RDS having a delete protection enabled, I mean, it it becomes then an obstacle to automation. Mm-hmm. So you manually have to 
go and un- uncheck a box before you can delete something. It's, I don't know. They want you to make sure you don't accidentally delete something and then call support in a panic. I deleted yeah. the thing I shouldn't have deleted. Because <laughs> they have no way to help you when you do that, <laughs> as we found out many times. Yeah. Are you sure you don't have a copy of that EPS volume somewhere? Nope, it's gone. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, in a feature that makes cloud health and cloudability very, very sad, Amazon has announced the anomaly detection and alerting is now available for AWS cost management. This allows you to detect unexpected or unusual spends. Uh, AWS cost anomaly detection uses a multi-layered state machine learning model that learns your unique spend patterns to adjust spend thresholds. This means you do not need to worry about determining appropriate thresholds like 10% increase in daily spend and maintaining them as your usage changes over time. Uh, getting started with this is pretty straightforward. Step one, create a monitor. And this can be restricted to both uh, to any set of variables, including specific AWS services. So if you only care about RDS spend, for example, uh, linked member accounts, uh, cost allocation tags, or cost categories. Uh, once you have those set up, you can then configure them with an SNS or email notification, meaning you can page your uh, phone, you can have a Slack message, you can have an email that you'll never look at, whatever makes the most sense for you. And step three, it's done. Let the power of email compel you. <laughs> nice. So you get the message on your phone. Hey, it's time to book that ticket to the uh, Bahamas. <laughs> You're screwed. Indeed. Uh, it's nice, too, that when it does detect anomaly, it does uh, give you a nice little dashboard. That tries to tell you what the root cause of that is. Uh, things like, yeah, your RDS database is getting more traffic or whatever else. Uh, and that root cause allows you to direct directly into Cost Explorer and see the comparison uh, to see the anomaly itself, as well as to submit assessments to each anomaly. So if you have a team of cost analysis experts and you are working on this, uh, you can have each person kind of put in notes about what this cost anomaly was and why it was there. So when you six months later, when the CFO comes and says, why did we spend so much more money in April? You can go back to your notes and you can see why. So overall, I think that's really great. Uh, and I definitely think it it kills one of the main use cases of cloud health and cloudability, uh, and what they're trying to sell you, which is really that anomaly detection and the fact that you know your spend has dramatically improved today. Yeah, and it, it, the worst customer experience is getting this huge bill at the end of the month and finding out that you know it's your fault, you see what you did is total oversight, and now you lost you know three months worth of your budget that you have to somehow make up for. You can't help but want to blame AWS even though you're not you're at fault. So this is cool that these features are going to be there all the time for those uh, unexpected automation events or other other weird quirky things that can happen when you're spending money and you're not using what you're spending. Does it say how quickly it responds to anomalies? Is it like a daily check or is it like an hour I, check? I assume it's using all those new daily cur reports that they uh, recently produced. Yeah. So I assume it's on a daily basis. I assume it's not on an hourly or by minute basis, but maybe maybe it'll get improvement over time. But I think anything in this space is a great first step. As someone who's recently caused an anomaly, <laughs> not gonna I was not going to mention. I was, I was dancing around the subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Future yeah. segment of Ryan does a thing. Uh, <laughs> how did I spend a lot of money? Ba- badly? Doing yeah. badly. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's like Ryan used to do a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now he's busking on the street corner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. I don't have product access anymore. I don't know what happened. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. 
If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. So they've uh, made usability improvements to the AWS management console. Uh, and so uh, I'll basically frankly put this that Amazon has jacked up the console. That's yeah, all I can say yeah. about it. Nothing uh, makes so basically, feel like an old man. <laughs> <laughs> The main improvement that they're announcing with this is they included a refreshed and responsive navigation header and footer with an easier ability to add or remove your favorite services in the recently visited section. Uh, depending on your browser, you can also access the navigation menu items using a keyboard, which I have not figured out how to magically do yet with Chrome, so it must be one of the browsers it supports. Uh, and previously, customers could only favorite a very small number of services in their navigation header or remember the icon of their favorite service, which is my favorite game ever. Like, try <laughs> to name the, the icon to the service. Uh, <laughs> So now you can basically go into the console. All of your nice little icons that are on the top are now gone because they're all hidden behind a hamburger menu on the left that you had to click. And then all of your recently visited services are there. And then the whole list of all of the services and their icons are available. And you can make mark a little star and say, this is a favorite. And then it pops up on the top left of that box, uh, which, you know, that part of it I actually don't hate. It's the fact that they took away the first bar, which was the five or six services I had pinned to that originally, uh, which made me super grumpy. So... That's a, that's a bit of a bummer there, but that's uh, that's available to you now today. Yeah. So if you suddenly saw your console change and you don't know what's wrong, it's that's them. They did it to you. I'm sorry. I like it. I really do, actually. I, I like that you can have many more favorites than you could before, and I like the fact that I've got a small laptop because, you know, the companies are cheap to get sometimes. And uh, so screen real estate is, uh, is really important to me. And so not having to have that bar at the top with those five things in and just one extra click to, to get the drop down and my favorites are there on the left is fine. It's great. I really like it. There you go. It's okay when you're wrong. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, every other change I've made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about that Route 53 tra- console chain? I actually went to experience oh. that for myself because I looked in Trusted Advisor, and Trusted Advisor says, hey, you've got a problem with these hosted zones. Like, okay, let's dive in. No, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I am enjoying Twitter because it's, it's been kind of a delayed reaction. Because I don't think people like a lot of DNS changes. So it's been a delayed reaction as people have discovered how bad it is. And then like some of the Amazon Slack rooms that I'm in, like OGAWS and ours, and that people will comment about it like weeks after we had branded about it here on the show. And I just chuckle. I'm like, yeah, I know. You just haven't used it. And it's awful <laughs> in every well, way. It, it is. So that part is awful, but they've also added a lot more information to make yes. it easy to get to, like delegation sets and things, which which is really nice because previously that was something you could really only get to through the um, through the CLI. Yeah. I, I definitely think the information density is better, uh, but the workflow usability wizard magic is terrible. So that's, no, that's yeah. my big beef. I agree. I just recently did DMARC records for uh, email domain. And I was laughing, thinking about you the first time you had to do it. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! Yeah, it's it's uh, at least you can still go back to the old console. Still, I don't know how long it's going to last, but I hope forever. Well, uh, if you remember back all the way back to episode twenty-three, which we talked about in May twenty nineteen, uh, we talked about Amazon's breaking changes to the AWS S three style pathing. Uh, and at that time, basically, the community kind of erupted and said that there wasn't enough time to make the change. And so they kicked the date out to uh, September 30th, which is tomorrow on recording day, uh, basically, that they're going to turn off the ability to have uh, s3.amazon.aws.com slash bucket name slash object as a, val- as a valid path style uh, in favor of bucket name.s3 region uh, Amazon AWS slash object. Uh, and so apparently, uh, customers have continued to push back and are very unhappy with this. And so... 
uh, Amazon has basically said, we're not going to do it tomorrow. So you get a reprieve if you totally forgot about this change that was going to break everything about your URLs. Uh, they will continue to uh, you know, not allow you to create new buckets with this, uh, but they have given no timescale for when Amazon will provide a new deprecation date. Uh, but they are working on providing support for a dotted bucket name, and once that is delivered, there will be at least another year before passed-out URLs are no longer supported. So you have some, some unknown time period plus a year uh, to basically fix this problem. So you can ignore it again until you know, some time plus a year later and yell at your Amazon rep again, and hopefully they'll push it out again. So there you go. That's a good job because I forgot about this, actually. <laughs> and I, I, know, I know for sure this would have broken something I've got running. <laughs> Which it's is never enough the, time. Due for the DR test next week as well. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you've got to wonder, like, why don't they just call it S4, make all the changes and be done with it, make people transition themselves natively, stop, stop doing dev work on S3 and move on to the next thing. What would, would you call that? Simple, cycle. simple storage service? Exactly. <laughs> Sim- simple DB storage service. Simpler simple service. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, that's it for Amazon this week. Uh, And luckily not breaking your change tomorrow. So you're welcome, Jonathan. (laughs) Gift I didn't know I was giving you. It's awesome. Funny segue into GCP, which would have just broken everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. GCP (laughs) would just turn that right off. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, the first thing they're giving you is the ability to uh, have Cloud Run for Anthos support eventing uh, for your Kubernetes microservices. The ability for Cloud Run for Anthos to receive and take action based on events. This makes it easier to build event-driven systems on the Google Cloud. Uh, With Cloud Run for Anthos events, you get the following ability to trigger a service on your GKA cluster. Uh, support for 60-plus Google services, either as inbound events or outbound events, and custom events generated by your code to signal between services through a standard eventing infrastructure and a consistent developer experience, all if you're willing to pay for Anthos. <laughs> the low, low price. I mean, event-driven, it beats polling every day of the year, so that's great. But, yeah, one of these days we'll get to play with it, but not anytime mm. soon. I'm, I was kind of surprised it wasn't kind of branded with the functions... Which is the same functionality, right? Why, why is it not like a functions for Anthos versus its own thing? Because the word functions didn't even appear in that press release. I'm not sure it is the same thing as functions, is it? Oh, functions is, is a event-based. Um, well, so functions is their managed platform you don't have to run mm-hmm. on top of Kubernetes. And then Cloud Run is their service that runs on top of Kubernetes. That's, all, that's the only difference. I was thinking, yeah, this is more like the, the event bridge you know, being compatible is what I was thinking. It doesn't really give you, I mean, I guess EventBridge to other GKE services in a sense, but uh, you don't see it quite as powerful as what EventBridge provides to you. But mm. I guess I'm just used to Lambda being the glue for everything, so. <laughs> 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 Buy the Lambda Spackle right. sticker in the store. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Lambda Please. Spackle available to you. <laughs> Please buy a sticker. It pays for tasty beverages yep. for your hosts. Uh, a modern detection of modern threats is now uh, Google's new product offering called Chronicle Detect, which is a threat detection solution built on the power of Google's infrastructure to help enterprises identify threats at unprecedented speed and scale. Uh, legacy security systems have difficulty trying to run many rules in a parallel fashion and at scale, making deletion detection difficult to find before it's too late. Uh, Google released the building blocks of the service at RSA last year with a data fusion model that stitches events into a unified timeline, a rules engine to handle common events, and a language for describing complex threat behaviors. And now with Chronicle Detect, they stitch all of that together for you in a very much uh, needed higher value service. Uh, Chronicle customers can take advantage of detection rules and threat indicators from Uppercase, uh, Chronicle's dedicated threat research team, Uppercase 
database provides IOCs and high-risk threat indicators to identify risks in your environment before you know about them. So not only do you get a great tool to detect stuff, you also get a fantastic team of threat researchers to help you identify those IOCs. Cool. And not a single mention of machine learning or AI. I just cut those parts out. It's definitely <laughs> in the article. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, data fusion model. Data fusion model is a, that's ML. I'm just gonna say. I took a much more editorial approach to our show notes this week, and I cut out a lot of BS. And I can tell you, there was buzzword bingo all over every one of these press releases on ML AI. Uh, but you know, it's interesting to me that both Azure and uh, Google have gone really heavy into threat intelligence and uh, UB type activities, etc. So I'll be curious to see if Amazon steps up to the plate, or if they continue to cede the field to their partners uh, in hopes that they provide the right products for their customers. Because I think. Both Google and Azure are taking leaps and bounds in their security space. Where uh, Amazon's definitely giving you a lot of things like Security Hub and these things, but they are, their design is all to integrate third-party tools into your Amazon console versus actually providing the tool, uh, which is what I really want Amazon to do. So I can stop paying these vendors bajillions of dollars. I mean, Security Hub does have a ton of built-in features for for a lot of stuff, as well as the ability to to, to pipe in external vendors. So I, I kind of see this as almost a me too, though, because it's the same sort of type thing. Do you not agree? No, this is this is threat detection. Out of, well, I mean, I guess like, Amazon Detective and some of their some of their security tools do some of this. I agree, mm-hmm. but there's this is this is actually, yeah. I mean, maybe not this one, but especially in the Azure case, there's definitely tools that they're installing on agents on servers to do more threat detection and more agent-based stuff for the user mm-hmm. entity behavior, and that's stuff I don't see Amazon really doing. We've never seen them really come out with DLP protection at Amazon. Again, that's a partner offering other than Macy, which is sort of close, but not really. And it only supports S3. Like, there's just a bunch of different use cases that I think um, Amazon could be enabling with technology versus leveraging their partner network. Well, at least they can install the, uh, the agents with SSM now. That's true. You can install the agents with SSM now. <laughs> which there's been like four more of those that got announced. I just haven't brought them on yeah. the show notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you for doing those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if your, if your tool wasn't available in the first week, we talked about Symantec, uh, or was it Trend? Trend, I think. Uh, there's Trend. several more. If you keep checking the website, if you're waiting for your security tool drawer to be available in the SSM uh, system. So. Cloud computing has changed the way we live, do business, and stay connected. With everyone using the same cloud platforms, winning and losing comes down to having the best talent to build products better and faster. So whether you're an aspiring innovator looking to level up or a business harnessing the transformative power of the cloud, tech skills and cloud certifications have never been more important. Cloud Academy has thousands of video courses, learning paths, practical hands-on labs in real-world cloud environments, and tools designed to help teams assess, build, and validate critical cloud skills. Most importantly, Cloud Academy stays agile, challenging you with new content, labs, and tons of features that ensure your skills stay relevant and everyone can level up. They cover everything from major certifications to DevOps, security, and programming languages. Cloud Academy is a cloud training platform of choice for Fortune 500 companies and thousands of tech professionals around the world. Don't just take their word for it. Check out their reviews on G2 and get started now at cloudacademy.com. For a limited time, our listeners can lock in 50% off the monthly price for life. Just put in the coupon code CloudPod when checking out. It's a great way to pursue certifications or just cloud build expertise during this crazy time. Again, Go to cloudacademy.com and use the coupon code CloudPod to lock in 50% off the monthly price. 
Uh, well, if you're looking at working on monitoring your Google Compute Engine VMs, uh, Google has been working on improving observability and operations workloads for Compute Engine, and they are pleased to announce the first wave of enhancements are available to you. Uh, the first one is significant improvements to the operating system support for cloud monitoring and logging agents. Uh, the ability to rapidly deploy, update, and remove agents to groups of VMs or all of your VMs by policy, with little as a single gcloud command, and new VM-specific features with the Cloud Monitoring Console, which they'll dive deeper into in later weeks. Google Cloud leverages agents to collect data, of course, including telemetry and logging data, and agents are included in VMs from Google unless you built your own. Uh, and of course, these are essential to your VM. They are now giving you the ability to automate the process of installing, updating, and removing them, and they now support CentOS 7 Plus, Red Hat 7 Plus, Debian 9 Plus, SUS Linux 12 Plus, Ubuntu 16, and Windows uh, from 2008 and on, all available to you in the agents. So SSM for GCP, next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, really more like CloudWatch for GCP yeah. Yeah. than SSM, yeah. but they definitely didn't say unprecedented in this. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they did not say a cloud first, which is another another fun buzzword they use. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that all SRE teams hate is when they get a new a new account and they realize that none of the servers are properly monitored, and they had to go set up you know thousands and thousands of alert metrics. Uh, but now, with this new fleet-wide monitoring capability for Compute Engine VMs from Google, uh, you can now use cloud monitoring with zero config, out-of-the-box visibility into your entire Compute Engine VM fleet, with quick access to advanced monitoring features such as installing the cloud monitoring agent and configuring your fleet-wide alerts. Uh, the new infrastructure summary dashboard and expanded VM instance dashboard jumpstarts your troubleshooting with no setup required. And the new single pane of glass gives you an aggregate fleet-wide statistics in a glance and provides insights into the top VMs for a select group of key CPU, disks, memory, and network metrics. And also, you can see monitoring agent status and explore advanced metrics, as well as enable thresholds for your entire fleet in one click. So when you make that too low, it will blow up your mailbox. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> what do you mean you you alerted me at 1% CPU? Yeah, hmm. that's what the AI said to do. Yeah. It's an anomaly, because we normally don't use any CPU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do uh, like these... these you know, it's almost like an opt-in type for monitoring. Um, but you, you know, if the only thing better that this could be would be if it was just default, and then you you know you could tune it as you want from there. But having the visibility for like memory usage and disk usage, which you don't get from you know the uh, outside of the OS level, is really really nice. And I really wish it was just default. Yeah, I wish they could give you memory usage from from, you know, from the hypervisor layer, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm sure they could do something at least. But no, nah. yeah. nobody nobody does. Why would they do that? Then they, then they tell you where all the capacity you're not getting is going. Like my, my, <laughs> my, my VM says 100 percent CPU, but the host only says 20. What's going on? Yeah. Oh god, not that yeah. conversation again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, those are deep wounds. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, Google has also made their AI platform prediction uh, based on GKA backends generally available. Uh, this new architecture is designed for improved reliability, more flexibility via new hardware options, and reduced overhead latency and improved uh, latency in general. Uh, several new features added over the course of the beta, including uh, XGBoost SCI kit learning models on high memory, high CPU machine types, resource metrics, and regional endpoints and VPC service controls. Uh, again, this is all the ability to just run all those amazing AI platform prediction capabilities automatically in GKE, to summarize that for you. You guys are wowed. I can yeah. see it. Machine Good. learning, awesome. We're just services trying to figure out how we could use this, mostly. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I would use this, actually. I have no idea. But if I was doing predictions, I guess, maybe I'm predicting NFL games and then betting on the results. Maybe that's how I use it. 
Well, moving on to Azure, uh, of course, last week was Ignite, uh, which was a lot of news for Azure. So this week we only have one story, uh, which is the the holdovers that didn't make the main stage <laughs> at Ignite, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and several of these are interesting on the infrastructure innovation space. Uh, so several new Azure infrastructure capabilities have been enabled to unlock cost savings, increase efficiency, and extend innovation anywhere directly addressing challenges we've heard from customers like yourself out there in the podcast land. Uh, so several new features for remote work and business continuity, uh, including Cisco SD-WAN native support for the Azure Virtual WAN Hub, a uh, new global load balancer feature for Azure Load Balancer for Unicast uh, fanboys, uh, new cap- capabilities coming soon for Windows Virtual Desktops, including support of Microsoft Endpoint Manager and the new Windows 10 experience, as well as direct integration into Azure Monitoring with that fleet capability we talked about uh, in the past. A preview of Backup Center to enable customers with centralized capability to monitor, operate, govern, and optimize data protection at scale with a consistent management in Azure portal, and a preview of backup support for Azure PostgreSQL, and preview of cross-region restore for SQL and SAP HANA. Of course, SAP HANA being something that Patrick and the team over at Proterra, who joined us for an interview recently, uh, would love to have. So there you go. Uh, that's all on the remote work and business continuity side. Anything you're excited about there? No one, no one's excited about Unicast, huh? huh? Oh, sorry, I dozed off for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Who's excited about Unicast? <laughs> Justin, are you? I, I mean, I like the idea of it. I never used it, but I like the idea of it. Uh, well, if you weren't ex- weren't wild by remote work and business continuity, hopefully, I can get you guys with uh, making Azure a great place to run Windows and Linux workloads. Woohoo! <laughs> I yeah. like both of those uh, workloads. <laughs> so the first one is a preview of Azure Auto Manage for Windows Server. Uh, to reduce day-to-day management tasks with automated operations across the entire lifecycle of Windows Server virtual machines on Azure, uh, which I guess it means every Windows SME no longer has a job. That's a bummer. Uh, The new Windows Admin Center in Azure to perform deep OS management at a centralized location so you don't have to log into the servers. Again, Windows uh, system admins are now sad. And then Azure hybrid benefits are now extended for Red Hat, Linux, and SUS Linux enterprise customers migrating to Azure. Uh, they've made flat, car- flat car container Linux uh, now generally available, which is compatible with CoreOS if you're still using that end-of-life abomination. Uh, flat car is now available for you. And then a preview of the new Azure Image Builder because, you know, everyone else has an image builder. Why doesn't Azure? Uh, Azure VMware is now uh, generally available if you wanted to use that. And then automatic VM guest patching, which is what I'm most excited about because patching Windows boxes is the worst. So that one makes me super happy. And then they also now have the ability to give you price history and eviction rates of Azure spots. Uh, so you can make sure you do uh, you know what your Azure spot uh, eviction rate will be before they kill your instance and kill your workload. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to have that feature in my environment uh, just because testing spot you know, failover and, and knowing whether it's doing the right thing is really difficult to do. So having at least historical data where you can make, you know, use previous uh, behavior as an example would be fantastic. Yeah, it could be like if I, if I price this part right here, then we're more likely to get evicted than right yeah. here. Like, is it worth the extra two cents on the bid right. to, to keep them running for an extra yeah. couple of hours or something? I thought... Uh, AWS had that. They had bid history, but you know, the, they, ever yeah. since they changed spot pricing, they kind of, you know, the, the amount of evictions that happen on AWS spot is not as high as it used to be back in the day. Unless you're using, you know, some very niche instances, then I think you run into that quite a bit. But if you're using a like common C5, M5, uh, R5 instance classes, I think you're in pretty good shape for not getting evicted. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember eviction rates having a stat. I remember price history. I don't think eviction rates was there. That's true, yeah. but price history was there for sure. So. Mm-hmm. But you'd tell them when they, when it just they would just peak. 
everybody was everybody was evicted. There's sections of those uh, those charts that it's obvious it had nothing to do with price. It's just everybody was evicted. Yeah. So reinvent lab happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> everybody yeah. out. That was that was the day that I got off spot instances. Was that was that reinvent when my personal server just died like multiple times? I'm like every time they start a class, my server just tanks because <laughs> it's basically getting used uh, for their classes, which is great, and I'm glad to see cloud working. But it was a bit of a bummer because I was trying to attend a conference not deal with a personal production outage. So, <laughs> all right. All right, Peter, take us to lighting round. Azure Synapse Analytics has new features, including merge, copy, and column-level encryption. Raising the question, if I take data that's unencrypted and I copy it to a column that is encrypted, is it now encrypted by default, or did I have to? Did I just break the encryption? That's the question. That's a good so question. Good night. Checkmate. I'm going with encrypted. I'm going with it's encrypted. <laughs> I'm going to go with it's copied uh, garbage encrypted data to the new column. Just because I'm being, feeling pessimistic. And yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it's an Asia feature, so of course they won't do it properly. It'll, it'll <laughs> munge the data, duh. <laughs> Amazon Aurora increases maximum storage size to 128 terabytes. Meaning that you can now restore your 128 terabyte database in less than four days. And all your executives can yell, why isn't it not restored yet? 128 terabytes is crazy. Just mention how much that costs. I think Jeff Bezos must have his next payment on his space rocket geo or something. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a big database. AWS Launch Wizard now supports SQL Server always on deployments on Linux. I just want to point out the hypocrisy of this statement. <laughs> Launch Wizard, Linux, and always on. Like, there's a lot going on there that does, doesn't make sense. I mean, it says it's deploy. It doesn't say it's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It does not say it's going to work. This is how you get someone like me to deploy always on. Like, oh, I can just click button through this? Awesome. And it'll be on Linux when it's done? Even better. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Amazon TextTract has improved accuracy of detecting currency symbols, key value pairs, and my favorite, checkboxes. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a call when it's ready to understand the CloudFormation JSON file. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, asking for a miracle. I was just sad that it, it you know, won't detect my checks incorrectly anymore as your rupees, because I was getting paid a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics strengthens end-to-end -end canary run debugging with X-ray traces. I'm on to you, X-Ray team. This isn't going to make me use X-Ray either. Nice try. <laughs> I felt like all of those words were just random words put in a random <laughs> It was order. sort of the, yeah. Yeah, generated by the fake AI bot that, that makes yeah. fake news stories. You can now set up queuing of purchases of AWS savings plans. I'm so excited to update my dead man switch for when I get fired to automatically queue <laughs> The billion-dollar purchase of savings plans. Watch out, employers of the future. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oopsie. Queuing, as long as they say six feet apart. Uh -huh. oh! Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. That's pretty good. Topical, current. Amazon Redshift Spectrum adds support for querying open-source Apache Hootie and Delta Lake. I mean... 
I guess that's only a hoodie we're going to get this year because reinvent's not happening. Oh. oh. <laughs> 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 Maybe they'll mail them to us. Maybe. Maybe so. No, no. Their admission price is free, right? So they're just going to let us all in. If only if only they had a logistic system of massive scale that could ship t-shirts at pennies on the dollar <laughs> at cost, you know, like if only they had a mechanism to do something like that to really to be to stand apart from their competitors. Say, look, we're <laughs> shipping we're shipping a hoodie to everybody registered online without yes. having to wait in line for 25 minutes or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And without having to fly to Vegas. <laughs> I just realized that I don't have to use that horrible mobile app to schedule my conferences or my sessions. You don't. You don't. <gasps> I mean, it'll still be that a horrible itself. mobile app. Hmm? I'm sure there'll well, still be a horrible it, mobile app. You'll just use it to schedule your online classes. Yeah. yeah. You know they had to probably order those t-shirts a year ago, right? Like, I mean, That's why every retail store has all the stuff for Christmas and Halloween and all that, even though they're going out of business because they ordered all that stuff a year ago. <laughs> so those, They probably have warehouses full of those hoodies. I did one of our Christmas stuff was in the stores right now. I'm like, really? <laughs> this, is, this is an exception. All right, uh, that's it for the lightning round. If Jonathan, I'm sorry, if Justin and Ryan would like to earn a point, they're going to have to get in the queue. Nice. Oh, yeah. Jonathan gets this. Social distance queue. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> Anything else you guys want to share? Just going to go back oh, on vacation. Yeah. Nice. Sounds yeah. good. That's tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going on vacation tomorrow, so you can't go on vacation. And, and ah, then Jonathan's. Yeah. And then Jonathan's escaping, too. He's, he said, oh, Justin's leaving? I'm going, too. So it's just you. You're holding down the fort. Oh, wow. Oh, you guys suck. It's either I leave or I stay and start sending abusive emails to people while you're gone and ruin your vacation. So, you know, <laughs> you guys. I, I'm turning off my email, so I will not care. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me, Ryan. Yeah, I'll, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll stand next to you and shrug my shoulders at, at well, I don't know what it is. What do you think it is? <laughs> solid do it together. Yeah. <laughs> solid, solid, solid move. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, have a great week in cloud. We will see you next week here at the Cloud Pod. Good night. Good night. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the Cloud Pod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign up instructions. Mm-hmm.